Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it is so good to be back. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here again. Uh, what an honor and a privilege to uh, be here again and uh, see you guys and worship together. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm the last, uh, I think, rotation for you guys. <laughs> and then uh, Pastor Tony will be back next week, so you'll have good preaching again starting next week. <laughs> uh, and then, um, yeah, uh, hopefully uh, we can see each other again sometime soon. Uh, but I'll take advantage of this time uh, to share God's word together with you guys this morning. Um, you know, I don't know how many people here are married, uh, but if you have been married for a long time, uh, and you know, the, let's say that the love has dried up a little, and uh, maybe you know you just don't know if you can ever get it to a place where uh, you can uh, rekindle that love that you had for one another when you first met. Um, uh, today, uh, I'm not going to be talking about how to rekindle your first love with uh, your spouse. Uh, however, some of the things I do share today uh, might be helpful <laughs> if you apply them in your relationship as well. Uh, today, um, I wanted to share a little bit more about how we can recapture our first love as a church. Uh, and we're going to see that we're going to see how to do that from our passage today in Revelations two, Revelation two, chap, chapter two, verses one through seven. Uh, this is the uh, church that uh, you know we see in Revelation, uh, the church of Ephesus. Um, uh, Jesus writes to uh, seven churches in the book of Revelation. And the one we're seeing today is the Church of Ephesus. Ephesus was uh, a very, uh, it was the most important city in Asia Minor at this time. They were also one of the richest, most prosperous cities. Also, uh, they were uh, known for superstition and magic. Uh, they were very religious, but they were very superstitious. They needed to hold on to something re religiously um, and so they, a lot of them were very superstitious, and uh, many of them, uh, Ephesus was notorious worldwide for their belief and practice of magic. They feared evil spirits. You know, they needed a, a way to somehow cope with the spiritual world, so they turned to uh, superstition and magic. They uh, had fear of evil spirits, uh, so they tried to protect, protect themselves through magic. Even after uh, many of them in this city became Christians at one point, uh, they still were not able to let go of their practice and belief of magic to try to protect themselves from evil spirits and bad things happening to them in life. They secured a good future for themselves through sorcery and magic. Ephesus was also a very immoral city, sexually immoral. Uh, Ephesus boasted of one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple of Artemis, uh, the goddess of fertility. In that temple, there were hundreds, if not thousands, of prostitutes inside the temple because pagan worship at the time included sexual uh, 
activity. So, and, and as part of their ritual, so the, the, the temple of Artemis had hundreds and thousands of prostitutes inside the temple. If you, uh, Ephesus also was surrounded by brothels. Anybody who, who came to Ephesus, they frequented the brothels, you know, as soon as they came to Ephesus. This is the kind of city uh, Ephesus was like. Uh, and to, in a place like this, where there's sorcery, where there's magic, where there's superstition, where there's immorality, there was a Christian church. In a place like this, there was a Christian church, and, uh, and, and, and this is the church that you know, we see today. Uh, and um, Jesus addresses this church, and by doing so, he addresses all churches of all times. There's a reason why there's seven churches, Seven is the number of perfection, completion, and fulfillment, meaning anything that is addressed to these seven churches is for all churches of all times. So it applies to us today as well. And uh, to each church, Jesus identifies himself with a title that is necessary for that church. Uh, to the church of Ephesus, today Jesus identifies himself as the one who holds the seven stars and the one who holds the seven lampstands. Uh, the titles that Jesus gives himself here as he introduces himself to the church of Ephesus, uh, the one who holds the seven stars, the one who holds the seven lampstands, this meant that he is divine. It's, he's trying to show his sovereignty, his divinity, the fact that Jesus is actually God, that he's divine, that he's sovereign, and he's trying to show them that he is in charge over everything that happens both in heaven and on earth. Because the seven stars was a symbol, if you read chapter one of Revelation, seven stars was a, uh, the meaning of the seven star was seven angels. It was, the meaning of it was angels. And the seven lampstands is the church on earth. So when Jesus says he's the one that holds in his right hand the seven stars and the seven lampstands, he's saying he's the one that's sovereign over everything that happens both in heaven and on earth. He's sovereign and he's divine. Jesus says that he's the one who walks. He walks among the lampstands. The lampstand is, is the church, the church on earth. And when Jesus says that he walks amongst the lampstands, what he's saying is that he is uh, connected to the church here on earth, that the church is never alone, that we have his power and his presence and his help available to the local church. The local church doesn't only depend on human manpower and the resources that we can come up with, but we actually have direct help from the one who is actually walking amongst his churches. He's trying to encourage the Ephesian church to let them know that he is always in their midst and providing for their needs. Uh, and also we can see here uh, that Jesus is, uh, when every church has an angel, an angel is a, is a messenger that Jesus sends to each church. When we see that the angel goes to the churches to deliver the message that Jesus has for them, and the fact that an angel is the one delivering the message, this is showing us that a church is not merely an earthly entity, but a heavenly one. 
All of heaven, all of heaven is involved in the life of the church. However, the church uh, functions here on earth is uh, accountable to God in heaven. So these are just some uh, explanations of the symbols and the language that we see in the beginning of the passage uh, that we can see from uh, our passage today. Jesus comes to the church of Ephesus, and now he's about to share with them the message that he has for them. The first thing he says, I know, I know. He says this to all of the churches, and, uh, and, and the fact that Jesus says, I know, he's showing us that he knows much better what is happening in the life of the church and in the life of the Christian more than even ourselves. So Jesus starts by saying, I know these things about you. He addresses the church of Ephesus. And he says, these are the things that I know are happening in your church. He first first commends them for three things that they are doing really well in the church of Ephesus. So these are three things that I commend you for that you are doing a really good job at. And he rebukes them for one. So it's three things about you I love, one thing about you as a church I hate. And he's about to share what those things are. First thing that the church of Ephesus was doing well. Remember, in a setting where there's a pagan religion, where there's sorcery, where there's magic, this is the dominant religion of their time, where there's immorality in a place like this, where if you were a Christian, you were immediately locked out of the economic system, immediately you had no connections to anybody to offer you help, poverty was guaranteed because you would not compromise to the culture of your time, but you would choose to stay faithful as a Christian. In a setting like this, like Ephesus, this church, these are the things that they were doing well. And Jesus says, first thing you're doing well, you are a very hardworking church. This was not a lazy church. This was a very hardworking church. The members were very committed. They didn't just come to the church to consume, but they were actually actively working so hard in the church, just like you know, everyone at this church. And they were a very hardworking church. And then he says, you are a very persevering church. You are persevering. You have not given up on being loyal and faithful to Christ and to his teachings. Despite the fact all the pressure that you face from society, you have not compromised. You have persevered. You're, being pa- you're patiently enduring suffering and holding on to your values and, and Christian beliefs without compromising to the culture around you. These are the things that you are doing so well in a setting that is so difficult to do so. You are hardworking, you are faithful, and they protected sound doctrine. They protected sound doctrine. They did not compromise their doctrine just because they felt pressure from society to do so. This is how, this is why Paul says, you recognize those evil, false apostles that will come into the churches to spread false teaching. You would recognize them and you will kick them out of the churches. This is impressive that a church can actually recognize false teaching just by talking to somebody and then kick them out of the church. Don't let them spread the false teaching inside 
the church of Christ. This was actually remarkable. This was, this was not easy to do because these false teachers, these false apostles will come into the churches claiming to be Christians, claiming to be friends, despite the fact that they came in to deceive and eventually, you know, spread false teaching in the church, the, Christian, the Christians in Ephesus, they spotted and recognized these guys, this false teaching, false apostles, evil people, and they will kick them out of the church. They will protect the sound doctrine of the church. Uh, this is not easy to do. And even today, this is how usually cults take over mostly small Christian churches. They come into small Christian churches claiming to be Christians. And then they are very liked by everybody in the church because they serve so hard and they're very likable people. They quickly go up in the ranks in the leadership, which is easy to do as small churches. Once they make it to the top, they kick out the current leadership. They take over the church and they convert the church into a cult. Even today, this is how cults are functioning. And almost no Christian church can actually recognize that. They're just happy that more people came to the church. Um, when I was at my old church, not, not at the church I'm at now, but at a previous church, uh, we had a guy come to the church, and he was basically an expert in cults in Orange County. And he was giving us a list of all the places that had Christian names. All of them have Christian names, by the way. All of them have Christian names, but they're cults. Uh, and most of them were preschools or Christian, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, yeah, Christian like private schools or Christian preschools where they had Christian names. But if you went a little bit deeper into who, who uh, you know, what they were doing, you found, them, you found them worshiping the founder of that school or worshiping Mother God or things like this. But all of them claimed to be Christian on the outside. But if you go a little bit deeper, uh, there were cults. And there were many, many hundreds of these just in Orange County. And the guy was giving us a list of all the Christian parents who are sending their kids there thinking it's a Christian organization. <laughs> so this is, this is very difficult to do. Even today, we can't spot easily false teaching. Back then, people were not able to do that either. But the church of Ephesus was able to do that very successfully. So they were good at a lot of things. They, in a setting like Ephesus, they stayed faithful. They didn't give in to the teaching of the Nicolaitans where they were just constantly, these Nicolaitan teachers were coming to the churches and telling the Christian that it's okay, just compromise with the culture. It's okay to have sex, you know, with the pagan, uh, with, 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 just with, with the pagan religions. Just, you know, it's okay to have sex like everybody else. They were just contaminating the church, but they had refused, refused to compromise doctrinally or morally. A very, very impressive church, something that is difficult even for us to do today. Many churches have already caved to the demands of the culture, and we only preach what the culture wants to hear. Uh, but not Ephesus, not the church of Ephesus. In a setting like this, they were being very faithful very faithful with their, with their doctrine. They worked hard, they persevered, they protected sound doctrine. These were the things that this church was doing well and Jesus commends them for that. Great job, great job. You are doing these things really, really well, really, really well, keep at it. But then he says, this is one thing you are doing really, really bad. 
This is an area where you need to change. These are the things you're doing well. Now I'm going to share with you the area where you are not doing so well, where you need to change. And he said, you have abandoned your first love. You have abandoned your first love. You're so good at knowing your Bible and theology and doctrine and protecting it and staying faithful both doctrinally and morally, but this I have against you, church. You have abandoned your first love. First love here has three meanings primarily. It means love with one another. Members of the church, they no longer loved each other like they did at first. You know, when you first come to Christ, you love everybody, even your enemies. Nobody can get you upset. Nobody can get you mad. You hate nobody. You just love everybody. Remember like the first moment when you become a Christian, you just, you just love even your enemies. You know, nobody can hurt you because you just love everybody. But this church, they had stopped doing that. They were no longer loving each other like they did at first. They had all this knowledge on Christians needing to love one another. They had all this great teaching and understanding about Christian love towards each other as members of the body, as the family of Christ. Yet, all that knowledge and no practice, they did not know how to love one another. So it means loving one another. It also means loving Jesus. They had, not, they had stopped loving Jesus like they loved him at first. They knew more of his teachings, but they were not loving him more. They were actually loving him less. And the last meaning of first love here, which I think it's, it fits our context more so than the other two, is they had stopped loving a lost world. They no longer had love for sinners. They no longer had love for non-Christians. The reason why I think this, this is a primary meaning is because Jesus here identifies the church as a lampstand. A lampstand's job is to be a light to the nations, is to share Christ, the gospel, with those who don't know Christ, but they have lost their first love. Their light has gone out. They are no longer sharing the gospel with non-believers. They don't care for non-believers. Their hearts don't break for unbelievers. They don't care for the lost. They have, their heads are so much smarter as Christians, but their hearts have grown cold, especially towards an unbelieving world. They have the gospel and all this theology and they're using it to fight each other, to debate one another, not to save the lost. They have fallen into this ever yielding temptation to every Christian who's been a Christian for a lot for who's been a Christian for a long time to only focus on sound teaching. And forget about the lost and forget about Christ and forget about loving one another. They had they were so smart, so sophisticated theologically, but their hearts were cold. Um, they were not doing even nearly as a good job as the, non, as the false teachers. At least the false teachers were trying to go into the Christian churches to try to spread their false doctrine. <laughs> and then, you know, even today, that's true, right? 
Oftentimes, although we are the ones who claim to have the truth, we are not nearly as good as the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons when it comes to evangelism. <laughs> not much has changed in the time of Ephesus to Christians today. Um, to a church like this, Jesus gives them, a th if for anybody that wants to recapture, recover, rekindle their first love, Jesus gives them a three-step recovery plan. Anybody want, that wants to love again, anybody that wants to recapture their first love for Christ, a church that wants to rekindle its first love, there's a three-step recovery plan to do so. The first thing that Jesus says, for anybody that wants to love again, that wants to rekindle their first love as a church, as a Christian, he says, the first thing he says, remember. Remember where you have fallen from. <laughs> the first step to, re to, re to, to loving again, remembering. 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 <laughs> uh, there's no change without thinking. There's no change without remembering. There's no change without pondering, thinking, taking time to slow down and actually see, take time to think how far we have fallen from so that we can start to change. We are all just so busy, so distracted. We don't take time to slow down, remember, ponder and think. That's why there's no change in our lives. Even when we do our devotionals, even myself, I read the Bible with you know, double the speed because uh, I don't have time. <laughs> you know? I, don't, I don't take time to let the word actually sink in my heart, let it marinate, let it change me. I don't take time for the love of Christ to penetrate my soul again by taking some time to remember to just remember, think, and ponder. When you look in the Bible, every time the Bible asks for change, for somebody to change, it never starts with action, as far as I can see. It always starts with remember, ponder, think. Take time to slow down and let the word of God, let the love of Christ that once capture your heart so passionately, let that sink in again. Let it marinate your soul once again. Our problem is we're too fast. We're too distracted. We're not going deep enough. So we can't love like we used to. First step, Jesus says, remember, remember where you have fallen from. Remember the days when you used to smile. Remember the days when you used to be pleasant to be around as a Christian, not always just trying to like fight and debate. <laughs> remember those days. <laughs> Go back to those days. Remember those days. Take some time to remember. First step, remember. Remember the love of Christ that you felt at first. Remember when Christ's love touched your heart so deeply that you were willing to do anything for him. Remember that day when you experienced the love of Christ for the first time? Take some time to remember those days. First thing, remember. Second thing, Jesus says, repent. Sometimes we might be good at listening, but then that's all we do. There is no action, there is no change. Repentance simply means to change. It means, remember, think how far you have fallen from, how, how much you are in sin, and then stop. 
Repent simply means stop, make a U-turn, go back in the direction of God. You are far from him right now. See all the things that you have fallen from and stop. Make a change. Don't just listen to sermons. Don't just listen to even hard sermons and, and be proud that you made it through a difficult sermon somehow and you, you listen to a difficult sermon. That does nothing. Unless it leads to repentance. Unless it leads to change. Some kind of change in our lives. Something must change if we have taken time to remember and ponder and think and listen. We have to make changes. It only counts if we make changes, if we actually repent and make changes, stop the things that are not pleasing to God, do the things that are pleasing to him. And here, graciously, Jesus actually tells us how to repent. He gives us even a step further, like, okay, this is what you need to do. This is, this is how you repent. He says, remember the things you did at first. If you want to rekindle your first love for Christ, if you want to recapture your first love as a church, do the things that you did at first. He's, he's so detailed. He gives us every single step necessary to recover our first love. And the last thing Jesus says, after you remember, after you repent, he says, do the things that you did at first. What are these things that you did at first when you were so in love with Jesus, when you didn't calculate, when you didn't measure, and when you were so devoted to Christ? Do those things. Do them again. Do them again. Jesus here knows something that Lightning McQueen knows, that Rocky Balboa knows, and that some musical artists know. You know, I have, a, I have young kids, so I watch uh, Cars a lot. Uh, but if you, if, you, if you know Lightning McQueen or Cars, Lightning McQueen is the best racer. You know, he's just a top racer. But I think it's in movie number three or something. All of a sudden, a new star comes into the scene, a rising young star, Jackson Storm. Lightning McQueen is no longer at the top of his game. Do you know what he does to regain his edge, to defeat this rookie sensation? He doesn't go and use all the latest technology available to him. He goes back to his roots. He goes back to run down racetracks where everything started for him so he can regain his edge back and defeat Jackson Storm. Rocky Balboa. I don't know if you know Rocky Balboa. You might be too young to know Rocky Balboa. It's a movie, it's a, it's a boxing movie. Even there, Rocky Balboa makes it to the top, no longer has an edge. He's no longer the best fighter. What does he do? He goes back to downtown. He goes back to his roots. He goes back to the stable where everything started for him to train like the days when he was so hungry as a boxer to regain his edge. I was watching this uh, you know, show and it was about this famous songwriter. Famous songwriter, he, he made a lot of hit songs and he was a famous songwriter. And now he has pressure because he's so good and people recognize him. He has pressure to continue to create 
hit songs, good songs. And then one day he was in his, in his, you know, in his uh, place of work and he was trying to come up with a great song. He was sitting there for 10 hours just trying to get the next hit song. And after 10 hours, he had nothing. He had nothing, he had so much pressure. People were waiting for a great song and no matter how hard you try, he just couldn't come up with another great song. It's a real life story, famous songwriter. Do you know what he did? It, at midnight, at midnight, he drove hours and hours and hours to the place where he first fell in love with songwriting. He wanted to feel again what he felt the first time he felt in love. He fell in love with songwriting so that he can write his next hit song. So they know something here that Jesus also knows. For anybody that wants to regain their edge back, for anybody that wants to rekindle their first love, we must do the things that we did at first. There's something about going back to those days, doing the things that we used to do as a church back then that will rekindle your first love as a Christian, as a church. I remember when I first became a Christian, when I first encountered Christ, when he took a hold of my heart, when I first came to believe in him, I remember for the first time when I experienced how Jesus can love a sinner like me after everything that I've done, after, after he knows everything that I've done, all the sins in my life, he came to my life, he gave me grace, and he gave me and he saved me. I was so touched, I was so moved by his love that I made immediate changes in my life. I was a chain smoker, stopped smoking. I was doing drugs sometimes, immediately stopped. Heavy drinker, one time I'm almost, I almost died because I drank seven days straight. Um, and uh, you know, all of those things. Just, you know, I just did not want to displease Jesus. Like, I, I, I was touched by his grace, by his love for a sinner like me. How could I ever do anything that harms or, or hurts him? I just wanted to not do that. So I made all of these changes when I first experienced his first love for me. I even lost 45 pounds. I was way overweight for this height. I was at 185, 190 but the love of Jesus made me lose 45 pounds. <laughs> I remember I was in college and I landed a job that would pay me double the uh, going rate at the time for, um, for what do you call it, for the, you know, the, the going pay for that time. There was this company that they offered me um, double of what you know, was normal pay at the time. So I started working for them for about two weeks. The second week, they asked me to lie so that they can get a big sale. And I remember at the time, I just wrote a letter to the CEO after I left that day from work and I put a, my resignation letter there saying, sorry, I cannot do what you're asking me for even though you're paying me double <laughs> because this is not pleasing to my God. 
I remember, you know, if I was in a line somewhere, whether it was at the fitness or the market or the bank, no matter where I was, if there was somebody in front of me, I would immediately tap their shoulder and say, hey, 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 have you heard about Jesus? If you haven't, can I tell you who he is? There was nobody that if they were in front of me that day, they were going to hear about Jesus. They were, they were no matter who they were, they were and it didn't matter where I was or who was watching, they were going to hear the gospel that day. One time when I was single, I, used, I, I still do, not as much as before, but I used to go to 24-hour fitness a lot. And at the time, I wanted to get married. So I bought a book called Finding a Date Worth Keeping or Your Money Back in Six Months. It's a Christian book. I bought it because they said they'll give me my money back if it didn't work. <laughs> and then uh, they promised to help me find my future wife. The advice they gave me was, anybody you meet, ask them out. <laughs> No matter who they are, ask them out. You know, so I, you know, being a faithful follower, right? I had to do what they said. So every girl that I'm, hey, uh, would you like to go out? Would you like some coffee? Would you like to get some coffee? One, day, one time I was working, at 25, uh, working out at 25 Fitness, and there was this really, really pretty girl. I think she was actually Vietnamese. Really, really pretty girl uh, on the treadmill. And uh, her... Treadmill next to her was, was open, you know, was, was, there was nobody there. So I went to that treadmill and I started, you know, pretending to, you know, like work out and stuff, exercise. And then I looked at her and said, hey, uh, I'm David, uh, what's your name? <laughs> and then we, you know, just were talking and they said, um, uh, can I ask you out for coffee tomorrow? Would you like to go out, you know, Panera Bread next door and just grab some coffee tomorrow? And she said, yes. I couldn't believe that she said, the book worked. <laughs> they were so right. I wasn't going to return my money because it worked. No, I wasn't going to ask for a refund because it worked. And the next day we, we go out and she actually came and we're having a nice conversation. And I came to find out that she's not a Christian. The next couple hours, just trying to tell her who Jesus is. <laughs> you know, you need, to accept, you need to accept Christ. I need you to go to heaven. And all of these things. She never called back. We never met again. And even in the gym, I think she switched gyms or something. <laughs> but it didn't matter who it was. It didn't matter if it cost me something. You know, personally, people are going to hear about Christ. I remember those days, and maybe Pastor Tony did this as well, just singing in front of supermarkets in Orange County with a box begging people to give us money because we need to go on mission. We need to go to Thailand because people need Jesus in Thailand. And everybody, like half of the people that come out of the supermarket, people I know because I've been in Orange County for so long, and these are Korean supermarkets, so half of the people, that's so embarrassing, so humiliating, it didn't matter. People needed Jesus in Thailand, so can you give me some money so I can go to Thailand and share the gospel there? You know, I didn't go to church just on Sundays during those days. 
I went to church every single day. People didn't ask me to come. I just went every single day because I love Jesus so much. Whatever Bible study, whatever worship, whatever I can get involved with, I want to be there. I beg for people to give me opportunities to serve in the church. And then they, they let me do the transparencies. You might be too young to know transparencies, but back then we didn't have all this fancy stuff. It was you put your, you use your hand to switch transparencies, you know, to sing praise songs. I was so thankful that they considered me worthy to do the transparencies every single Sunday. I was there Monday through Sunday. Nobody even paid me a penny to be there. I just wanted to be in the house of God. About how far have I fallen from those days? How far I have fallen from those days? I know more theology than I ever have. I went to seminary. I studied the Bible every single week to teach it to my church. I have the most theology, the most knowledge that I've ever had. My heart is so cold. My heart is so cold. I don't really care, you know, about the lost anymore. When I see somebody in the streets, I don't, I don't, I don't want to share the gospel with them. When the Holy Spirit kind of like gives me conviction, I try to suppress it as much as I can. Ask like 10 questions before I even ask, you know, if, if I can share the gospel with them. Eventually they leave and I never get to share. Because this is not politically right because we have COVID. I have so many good reasons why I should no longer share the gospel with people. And besides, if they are Christians, if they're here living in America, they have probably heard about Jesus. They probably don't want him. They probably left the church. And if, if they don't want Jesus and if they want to go to hell, then so be it. This is my heart now. <laughs> with so much theology and learning and Bible learning now, just being honest with you, I could care less whether they hear the gospel or not. When I uh, meet young pastors, because now I'm kind of one of the older ones, and they come and, you know, they ask for... Uh, you know, they just want to talk about certain things ministry related and they're so fired up and they're so passionate because they're young, you know, they're young and they're so passionate and then, you know, they don't care about the pay, how much the church is going to pay them. They don't care about benefits. They don't care about anything. They just want to serve Jesus and I stop them. I go, hey, 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 don't be naive. <laughs> don't be stupid. Don't be young, man. Like we've all been there. We've all been tamed. So will you. <laughs> So just hold your horses and go to a church that pays you the most. Go to a church that gives you the best insurance, the most benefits, the most vacation time. Go to a church like that. And these are all good things, of course. And Pastor Tony should have all these things and more. But go to a church like that. Don't you dare be young and dumb and say, I'll just serve for nothing. <laughs> how far I have fallen. If I wasn't a pastor today, would I even go to church on Sundays? Or would I just watch from home? One screen, the church service. One screen, Netflix. If God said, 
David, I need to send you to the mission field with your family to a dangerous place where there's no benefits, there's no guaranteed pay. <laughs> Would I even consider uprooting my family to go to the mission field? This is what Jesus is calling his church today. He says, to anybody who has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To anybody who listens, there's new life, new work to do, new ministry. To those who don't, to the church that doesn't, Christ says, I will remove you. I will remove you. Meaning your church will close its doors because you don't care about each other, you don't care about Christ, you don't love the lost, you don't have a purpose on earth as a church, he'll remove you. Uh, churches don't close doors because of COVID. Churches close doors because we have lost our first love. In my church, we support a missionary couple uh, the pastor, the, 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 the husband is a pastor. The wife, she used to be a doctor at Kaiser. Uh, she, young, but, you know, very successful. She made it to becoming a doctor at Kaiser, had great pay, great benefits. But when she, the, the pastor is not so impressive, <laughs> but the wife is really impressive. When she became a Christian in college, through a Christian organization called AACF. She promised God that she was going to go uh, to the mission field as a full-time missionary and that she was going to become a doctor so that she can go on missions full-time. 20 years later, she became a doctor. But who's going to keep a promise like that? <laughs> now that you have benefits, now that you have such a great high-paying job, your own house, you're set. And, you have, and she had two more years. If she stayed as a doctor for two more years, she would get pension and all these retirement benefits. She only needed to stay two more years. Last year, they decided to go. She quit her job. The whole family, they have two young boys. They all moved to Indonesia to a dangerous place where they can die at any moment to keep her promise that she made to God in the beginning. This is what you and I need to do. What promises have you made to God in the beginning when you were first in love with him that you need to go back and keep? What are some things that you used to do at first when you were so in love with him that now you and I don't do because our hearts have grown so cold that we need to go back and do? Do you want to regain your edge as a Christian? Do you want to love again? Do you want to recapture, rekindle your first love as a Christian again? Then we must go back to go forward. We must go and do the things that we did at first. If you do the hard work of doing the things that you did at first, Somewhere along the road, you are going to find something you lost. You are going to find 
your first love. Let's pray.